Welcome to another episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and today we've got episode 52 with Pat Gallagher, co-host, and Bernie Mullen, founder and CEO of the Aspire Group. Uh, Really looking forward to having Bernie on today as some would maybe consider him the master of tickets, Ticketmaster. There's a company called Ticketmaster, right, Pat? Something like that. There, well, there is, there is, but I will say that this is this is this is Dr. Bernie Mullen, and he is. Uh, I first met Bernie when he was um, he was with the Pittsburgh Pirates and trying to figure it out there. Moved on to the Rockies, and now he's the founder and chairman of his own company, the Aspire Group. And the thing that I love about him is everybody says they're marketing experts. He literally wrote the book on sports marketing. He actually wrote the book on sports marketing. So, Bernie, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> I appreciate it, Pat and Jake. Good to be with you. No, no and, and, and Bernie, so we, we just want to give people uh, who are listening a chance to get to know you a little bit and listen on your path. I mean, you're, you're, um, uh, when I first met you, you were with the Pirates. You, had, um, you, you have an incredibly distinguished college career um, at Coventry University, and there's probably a number of other places that you studied. I know you were at the University of Denver for a while, but why don't you take us a little bit on your path? I mean, did you grow up and said, I want to be Dr. Bernie Mullen, and I want to write the book on sports marketing? Heck no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's more like that uh, family circus cartoon you see in the Sunday newspaper, you know, where the kid goes from point A to point Z, went 300 miles in each direction. Um, no, I've seen our Pat. You know, I uh, grew up in England, as you said, did a business degree and was in the automotive industry with uh, what was then called British Leyland Motor Corporation that was, you know, as big as General Motors, but in Europe, you know, Austin Morris, Jag, Triumph, Rover, uh, MG, all these different cars. And for um, jobs as a professor of business when I was graduating and the easiest uh, way to get a green card um, Turned down a couple of jobs in business schools in Texas and Iowa and uh, University of Massachusetts was just starting sport management. They'd had sports studies and uh, I was a guy with a PhD in business who and uh, coached at either the pro or college level and that was it. And then the biggest uh, change was David Stern hired me in 2000 to be the CDVP of marketing, build the uh, what's called TMBO, Team Marketing and Business Operations. Function, which is the McKinsey style, uh, you know, in-house sports consulting, uh, supposedly best practice unit that has just gone on to great fame. Then uh, CEO of the Hawks and uh, after all those years in pro sports, finally decided to go and build my own company about 11 years ago. So uh, we set off on on that journey with the Aspire Group. So very, very blessed and lots of fun along the way. Bernie, after this career in professional sports and in collegiate sports and doing a bunch of consulting for all different types of entities, you and Bill Duffy and some others started the Aspire Group. And, you know, the Aspire Group was one of those companies that, you know, didn't exist 15 years ago, but now it does and it's thriving. Why don't you just describe what the Aspire Group does and sort of what you think your your, your sweet spot is of the things you do really well? Yeah, absolutely, Pat. Well, I think we, you know, we started out pure consulting and um, Bill Duffy's clients were the NHL, 
and uh, he actually ended up being the uh, trustee uh, after the uh, Dallas Stars got into some financial difficulty because, you know, the owner Tom Hicks went bankrupt. And so he was approving all the bills and paying all the bills. And the NBA hired him to uh, basically uh, clean up a lot of the stuff uh, as Bob Johnson was exiting. And uh, as a result of that, he got to know the Michael Jordan group. And uh, they actually stole him away for about three and a half years ago, worked directly for them. And then, then he came back a little over five years ago back to the Aspire group. Um, I was doing the same thing with the Dodgers and the National Hockey League and Canadian Football League. And uh, a year in, uh, we had some publicity here in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And the athletic director of Georgia Tech, Dan Radikovich, who's now the AD at Clemson, uh, brought us in. We put in a, together a proposal basically to teach them how to sell tickets. And they uh, smiled at us and said, no, you don't get it. Uh, we want you to sell our tickets. Um, so that's how it all started. And that was uh, a little over 10 years ago. And now $1 billion worth of ticket revenue that we produce for our client partners in college and pros. And we've done things like the LA Chargers, uh, you know, worked for the NFL Pro Bowl. We've done U.S. Open, and we still do, U.S. Open Tennis as well as many of the top colleges, we do what we call intelligent marketing. We work with them on the database to identify uh, not only who the people are buying tickets but are interested and getting more information from them. Intelligently, highly targeted texting, marketing, you know, email campaigns with an offer that really should resonate. And if they open, click through and post, then we pass them on to our salespeople. So it's data analytics with a personal touch to create fans for life. And so we're, you know, revenue answer. We still do a lot of strategic consulting, a lot of fan market research work, um, all all over the place. But that's that's the essence of it. And uh, you know, we're the biggest outsourced ticket marketing sales company uh, on the globe. We've done work in Australia and Canada and Mexico, you know, Britain, all over Europe. Uh, a lot of a lot of really fun projects. So, so really, what you've done is that you've you're really doing some things for uh, an institution, a, a university, whatever. You're really doing some things that really, they really can't do for themselves in the same way. And that's is that really part of your pitch too? Yeah, absolutely. Many of them cannot hire. You know, you can imagine the professors on campus going, "You want how many people to do what?" You know, I mean, obviously, certainly in the past, there was the the feeling and Pat, you know this better than I do. You're in the industry before I was, where people would, you know, would believe that the phone would just ring and, you know, if a fan's a fan, you can't create a fan. Um, so particularly in college, which is our biggest sweet spot without a doubt, particularly in North America, um, they can't hire. Um, they don't have the expertise necessarily. I mean, some universities can. They do it in-house. Stanford is certainly one that does it in-house and does it well. That They can go hire people who are really qualified and know what they're doing. But a lot of the time, the marketing person at a university or the external person, as they call them, um, is spread too thinly. You know, you've got 18, 25 varsity sports. You've got to do game presentation. You've got to do digital marketing. <laughs> Across all those properties, um, they just don't have the ability to do it. The biggest one is that we can hire quickly. We know the people who are the best leaders, the best salespeople coming in. We can offer them a real career pathing. Because we're in so many places, we employ over a couple of hundred people, so that makes a big difference. We can do commissions. We can do bonuses. Again, things a lot of universities can't do. 
it's a it's great because it's really a uh, you know a, a business that didn't exist in its current form you know what 15 years ago and now it's like you've built this into a over a billion dollar uh, ticket sales company and stuff so and so as the chairman and and the founder you've got you know you've got this you know you got this empire of, of people and so you empire. have <laughs> empire well you have you have the same the same great things that anybody in business does you you know you have to hire people you have to fire people you have to you know you have to deal with all those sort of personnel things so we'll talk about the kind of people the kind of people that you look for uh the skill sets and in you know, when, when, when the Aspire Group is looking to bring people on, what kind of people do you look for? Well, I think, you know, it's a great question, and it's the central question. It's labor-intensive business, you know, and obviously customer service, sales has extremely high turnover. We've historically, uh, you know, been way, way better to much lower turnover than the industry, although, you know, with a high on a very low uh, unemployment, it, it gets tougher and tougher. We hire, generally speaking, kids right out of college, sport management programs, sports business, general business, marketing, um, young men and women who uh, who want to get into the sports industry. Um, we give them, you know, the same base as they get in the pros, which is low. I mean, they're typically starting at $24,000, $25,000 a year, depending on which market they're in, if they're in a big, high-cost-of-living market. And uh, commissions, you know, they can typically make eight, ten thousand dollars $10,000 a year in the first year. And then, you know, with pay increases and with their ability to sell more in second and third years, you know, and, and within three years, really, they're, um, they've got a really, really good chance of moving up and uh, being one of our leaders. But what we look for is WAPP, and that's W-H-O-P-P-P-P, and that stands for Work Ethic, Honesty and Integrity, Openness to Learning, Passion for Sales, Productivity, Potential for Leadership, and really that professionalism that, that we need. And these are people that want to become an athletic director. They want to become a chief revenue officer of a major league team. Um, and, and we help them get into the sports business. And you know, Pat, just how hard it is. And uh, it's it's not an easy business to get into, but we get them on the ladder. We have career pathing. They're generally, if they're, if they're good, they're a sales manager with one or two staff within three years, five years. They're a manager with four or five, six, seven staff. You know, seven or eight years in the director with 10, 14, 15 staff at a power five school. Um, that's how that's how quickly it, it goes. Uh, as managers, we want people that really are good mentors, good teachers, good managers, good motivators, um, and hire good people. We have our, one of our key phrases is A's hire A's because um, B's hire C's. They hire people who are smaller than them and don't challenge them. We want eagles. We want to hire young eaglets that uh, can be the future stars of the business. And, uh, you know, the, the single biggest differentiator with us is the training and development career opportunities we give to these young men and women. And on day one, you know, young Pat Gallagher, uh, you know, once he's got his short pants off and he's got long pants on, you know, shows up at our place and we say, Pat, what's that chair you're sitting in? And you say, I don't have a clue what the name of the chair is, Bernie. And we say, well, it's Pat Gallagher, LLC. Uh, you're an entrepreneur. You're a brand. We want you to come to work every day as though that's your own business. 
and we want you to work as hard as your own business, and we will push you. We'll be the best coach you've ever had. We'll hold you to the highest standards, and we want you to uh, come in with that attitude, and we want you to take home one thing every day that you could have done better, and the next day work on making it better. You know, So you're, you're a carpenter, and you got to sharpen your chisel, sharpen your pencil, and uh, sharpen your saw every day to make your brand bigger and better, and that's the macro picture. I mean, it's all about our people. It's great. It's great young men and women who are very high. I mean, 65% uh, of our uh, uh, people that stay after a year are promoted within two and a half, three years. Bernie, as, so as, you, as, you, as you try and, and keep, you know, these young professionals who, let's just face it, in this day and age, you know, a lot of people want to hop from job to job or uh, you know, potentially go back to the city that they're from. They don't necessarily want to go to, you know, every which city across the country. How do you, you know, at, at the beginning of the process assess, you know, whether they, they are the right people for, you know, that job or, or is it more, um, you know, seeing if they'll develop along the way and then everyone's got their own career path and whichever direction they decide to take is, is the direction they, they take. Well, I think it's, it's a great question, Jake. I think um, we do have a defined career path, particularly, you know, for the sales pathing. The biggest challenge we have is obviously we have a lot of database marketers, database coordinators, digital marketers. With young people today, one of the greatest expressions that I heard was uh, millennials, the label given by an old person to a young person they don't like. <laughs> yeah. um, Millennials don't like to be labeled millennials or Gen Zs, so they're they're very very unique. And I think um, you know you you quickly find out uh, the biggest challenge for us is always going to be retention. Even though our numbers are way above the industry average, it really is. Do these young men and women think that you as an organization care about them? Do you have their best interests at heart? that you are going to enhance their brands, that their brand will have increased value at the end of the day. And um, I have that conscious capitalism. I personally hate that. I think a lot of people don't like the capitalism part of it, even though we're obviously a business out to make money. But, you know, conscious capitalism to me is we provide a great service that is definitely needed at a fair price and really, you know, have a good product. Number then finally, that we give back to the community, whether it's the homeless soccer program that we do here in Atlanta, you know, for youth, homeless youth, whatever it may be, that we, we try and be the kind of model organization that these young men and women would want us to be. So, Bernie, when you're looking forward, you know, with now uh, it's a different, obviously it's a different world than when we came in with technology, the way people can consume these products, uh, the way that they can follow them and consume them. You know, the ticket sales, I've talked to a couple people uh, in professional sports who are trying to say, you know, the traditional season ticket, some of them say the traditional season ticket is sort of dead. And so as, uh, as, as marketers and as entities, we have to find new ways to keep our fans engaged. I mean, do you, do you, do you agree with that? Or do you think, uh, uh, you know, what do you think the future is going to look like for ticket sales? Well, I think it's, um, you know, I, I tell the, uh, the kids and our staff all the time that the good news is it's getting harder and harder to sell tickets 
uh, and therefore were in demand. The bad news is that it's getting harder and harder and, and you know, you have to use technology uh, and you have to change, you know. So the biggest problem for a lot of colleges is that what young men and women want today is a space, a social space, as opposed to um, a seat. You know, and, and my co-author on the book, uh, sport marketing book, Dr. Bill Sutton, is out there saying we're selling spaces, not seats, and we're selling experiences. So I think, you know, as long as you adapt in a couple of different areas, one is recognize how much tastes are changing, you know. And people of my age, graying out, don't want to go sit in an outdoor stadium. You know, Georgia Tech, we have season tickets, my wife and I. We go there, it's a noon game because the ACC TV schedule. And by halftime, you're bleached on the right-hand side because we sit on the east side of the stadium. And the sun is to the south, of course. You're totally bleached. You go to the concession stand at halftime, buy two bottles of water, one to drink and one to pour over your head. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, so how do, how do you change that? I mean, everybody, as they get all at once, parking space next to the stadium, escalator or elevator, climate control space, really good food, drink, blah, 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 you know, so that if it is nice and they want to go outside or if they get too hot, they want to come in and cool down or if they're freezing because it's later in the season and they want to go in and warm up, that, that's that end. On the, the kids' end, what do the kids want in that space? You know, what do they want the most college campuses? Why are, uh, why are these, um, you know, the young students in most campuses not coming and they're not coming, you know, in droves. I mean, we had one client, a huge Power 5 school, that uh, the attendance uh, football season ticket sales dropped 20% a year for four years in a row. And, um, you know, why are they not coming? Well, because they want to be, they want a seat, they want to be able to move around, they want food and drink. Even though they're underage, they've got a fake ID, so they want alcohol, which on a college campus, they're probably not going to do because they're going to see their, you know, their actual student ID and know what year they are. Um, if you've got any kind of electronic uh, barcoding technology, they want music. They want a digitally connected experience. It's just very different with it. So augmented reality, virtual reality. Um, so people still want that live experience. And I, and I make the analogy like America's Got Talent. Um, years ago, they would uh, they would have at least one section a year where they would have it in a completely dark, closed, you know, uh, theater. So if it was, um, you know, a, a Radio City musical, comedians would have to go on stage and talk to an empty uh, empty theater, dead, you know, no atmosphere, nothing. Well, what's a sporting event without the fans? The crowd is part of the experience. So we we have that challenge to be flexible and then you know how we deliver the ticket obviously uh we were at uh, usf south florida last week one of our client partners and they just introduced every ticket is now a digital ticket and guess what the older fans are not happy you know so <laughs> what do we got to do we got to we got to find apps and ways to talk them through or walk them through how to transfer the tickets it's it, it's the nature of the beast uh tickets are under assault without a shadow of a doubt, Pat, but whether there's more share partners that are going on on that, whether there's more fractionalization. You know, um, John Spolster at the uh, New Jersey Nets uh, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, tried to offer only the best 10 games on, as a season ticket package, 
when he wanted to change the name to the Swamp Dragons, and quite frankly, he killed their season ticket sales for an extended period of time. And, you know, they did eventually build it back, and uh, don't tell me you can't sell, um, you know, Brooklyn Nets season tickets right now with the uh, players they've added, because you can. And, you know, and your city of Golden State Warriors are not going to have any problems. So it's, it's not as dead as people think it is, but it's definitely under assault. And there are ways to work around it. It just takes more strategy, uh, more technology, more time, and more one-on-one personal touch, even with the millennials that everybody believes buys everything online and they don't want to have a personal interaction and a connection. But the fact is they do, and it works. Well, they do, and I think we have to, you know, I think one way to look at it is I think we have to move move closer to our customers. Um rather than sort of insisting that they buy what we want them to buy. Correct. You know, we, we really have to listen and be able to move closer to them. You know, out here in the West Coast and uh, the Pac-12 had a controversy recently where they announced their, uh, their, their schedule this fall. And, uh, you know, they're trying to balance the, the value of the television product with the, with the start times. And actually, they talked about some start times here on the West Coast. So it would be 9 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, the locals, I mean, you know, you, you, you can kind of, you could hear it. You could hear the, the media you know, came right out after it. I, it's a balance. I, I, I feel for, for Larry Scott, who I think has done a great job with the, with yes. the Pac-12. But, 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 boy, what do you do in that case? I mean, you have, there's got to be some sort of a balance. I think. There has to be a balance, Pat. I mean, we have seven max schools, I believe, you know, mid-America conference schools, and they're probably affected the most. We can have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday games, and the games can be in the afternoon and night, you know, depending on television. And it's a bloody nightmare, quite frankly, to go back into my old English vernacular. It is really, really challenging. Um, so why have they done it? Well, you know, I mean, all of our buddies who are BADs, our partners that we work with, will tell you um, the the check is so big, we have no choice, and we need that check and. Every one of the coaches wants it for recruiting when they can say, you will be on national TV, you'll be on ESPN. So there are things we do. And uh, when I was at the NBA, we'd have this uh, around the NBA All-Star game. Funny enough, started back, uh, I think, in 1998, this thing called the, um, uh, oh, gosh, on the Friday Friday morning of All-Star, they have this great digital program that is absolutely cutting edge and it's a much harder ticket to get into the natural nba all-star game itself and everybody wants to be there to learn what's the latest thing that every ceo or chief marketing officer of every digital company is there on these panels and you know what what do we learn from that without a shadow of a doubt is exactly what you said is we we have no choice but to come up with mass customization. In other words, a season ticket plan, a packaged hospitality program on an individual basis. We have to accomplish and cater to every single person. We can't be a transactional business. We have to be a relationship-oriented business, uh, and we have to build that connection. And, And that's what our young men and women do is they build these relationships to the point where, you know, Pat Gallagher is not going to quit his... Golden State Warriors season tickets or his San Francisco Giants tickets because he's got this personal relationship with a customer service rep 
that is so good that he would never think about not coming. Now, he might slide from 81 games to 40 to 20 and eventually down to a 10 or 12 package. But, you know, we're still we're still having that relationship and that one-on-one call each year with Pat where he says, here's the games I want to go to and here's the kind of seating or hospitality location or experience I want to have. Bertie Mullen, you, you put that together for me and tell me how much that's going to cost. And I think that's that's exactly where it's gone. And that's why we call it mass customization oxymoron, but it's where the whole consumer product world is going. As you you know, go from school to school and property to property, you know, I think back to I had worked at Purdue at Learfield for a year and, you know, Learfield and IMG College, they merged and, you know, they're trying to get different schools on board and, you know, you got to meet your price to some extent with the athletic department. How do you go about, you know, choosing the properties that you do to work with? And obviously everyone's a great partner, um, but, you know, how well, what's that process like? And, and take us back to maybe when you first started to get your couple first properties on board to now, you know, from an expansion mode, or do you swap properties out based on performance and, and the markets? Yeah, no, it's a great business uh, strategy question. Well, we, we started the um, the outsourced ticket marketing space and sales space in college athletics at Georgia Tech. And then several years later, there was an individual that uh, did that and then met the federal and then he eventually got bought by IMG. And then IMG Learfield came to us to try and buy us and partner with us. And we couldn't work out the deal. So then they went with IMG and they've been our competitors for the last six or seven years. And yeah, college college environments, Jake, it's invariably an RFP. Um, you know, there are situations where Learfield and IMG have a relationship on campus with the multimedia rights or with the merchandise rights. And so they may have a relationship where, where they get it and it never even comes out through the RFP process. But generally speaking, when it does come through the RFP process, we win the overwhelming majority of them and, and of those deals that are available because this is what we do. We're not into multimedia rights. We're not into player representation and some of all those other things that uh, our competitors are into. So by having that specialty, having that expertise and having the track record we do, we generally win those deals. Um, The economic models are all over the place and sometimes it is problematic because it's gone through an RFP process. Um, There are times we walk uh, or the times that we don't go beyond our original proposal in the RFP process because um, the economics are not there. We Early on, we thought we'd try just about everything. You know, we're schools like UC Riverside with just two employees on there, and we more than doubled their ticket revenue in a very short period of time. But then, you know, they wanted to, to have tighter and tighter margins, and we, we finally said no. So, and I think we're doing more and more of that. We've had some client partners. Um, one of our favorite phrases is to call them Bob's. Uh, it means the box office bugger. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and it's, you know, Pat knows it's shake, you know, that there are some people that are, you know, hired more as a warehouse controller and financial nitpicker than they are a marketer, seller, or a servicer. And, and when we have that in the box office, that uh, they'd rather keep the tickets in the safe or in the vault. Uh, you know, to use old metaphors today, obviously they're all electronic and system. But uh, if, if we've got that kind of a partnership, 
uh, that's not a partnership and we walk from it. So Bernie, what's your, what's your, what would you say would be, it, it pick a school that's your, maybe your biggest success story that you took from, you know, maybe a bad place to a great place. What would, what would be a, an example of that? Big? I, I think it's on a couple of different levels, Pat, because that again is a great question. I think, uh, certainly Georgia Tech, you know, it's, uh, in our 11th year there now, you know, initially saying, hey, we can sell about three quarters of a million new season ticket sales for you in the first year to 1.2. And it's now, you know, this year going to be approaching three million of new ticket sales revenue. Uh, and then obviously switching over that we do the service and retention. So a school that might have first year uh, season ticket holders renewing at 60 percent. And, you know, we're able to get it at 75 percent first year, then over 90 percent. Subsequent years, the other big uh, University of Kansas is a tremendous success on the donation side. Um, most universities have got you know limited number of people on their development side, as they would call it, which is the donation side. And Kansas is a great example. Um, they had about sixty five hundred donors to the Williams Education Fund when we went in there four years ago. Uh, the top group giving, you know, more than 5,000, they obviously handle, they take them to breakfast, they take them to lunch, they know them personally. But anybody below that was not getting the schmooze. And so we took them over. That whole category collectively gave 800,000 in that first year. And now it's in excess of 3.5 million. Uh, I, one of our guys did tell me a most recent number. I think it may even be as high as 3.8 million. So it's wow. a 400% increase on the development side. And really it's, you know, <clears throat> you know, I'd like to pat ourselves on the back, but quite frankly, it's, we talked to these people, you know, and we've discovered a $400,000 donor that uh, gave to the renovation of the football locker room, a $50,000 donor, the biggest ever donation to tennis, help that new facility. And, um, you know, Kansas was a school that had 10 billionaire grads and the institution, uh, not just us, but the university as a whole, knew of four billionaires at that time. They had 10 of them, you know, and not through us that they discovered the other six, but uh, certainly in athletics, we've we've gotten, I think it's about 20 champion and Hall of Fame donors that are at the $25,000 or $50,000 level. And as soon as we, you know, we develop those, as we pass them off to the, you know, the Williams Education Fund people. And we've had similar success at Army and Purdue and many other schools. So uh, it's it, it really, we call it the Fan Relationship Management Center. And these young men and women go to work every day to build these lifelong relationships and create fans for life. And, and, it, and it works. And we tell all the young men and women, one of, one of our techniques that I think has been very successful is we tell the young men and women and as part of the training that turn the DVR on in the person's head. So, you know, we go back with these IMIs, the relationship exercise. When was the first game you came to tell me about it? And it's all Anthony Robbins' neuro-linguistic program that, Pat, we've been training his salespeople in for a hundred years and it's, you know, get them to turn the DVR in the head, see it, feel it, and hear it. You know, and, and that's what it's all about. A college athletic experience, the only way that the college, and, and this is, you know, you are saying before about Larry at Pac-12, a phenomenal job he's done in brutally tough circumstances during a period of time when the Pac-12, you know, has not been as competitive on the field or on the court 
as it was, you know, always top 10 teams, particularly the Southern Cal, Washington, strength, Oregon strength, you know, and Oregon's one of our client partners that we've done work for in the past. All of that, you know, pressure is college has to be unique and it has to be, it has to be kids, kids making mistakes. It has to be the cheerleaders. It's got to be the band. It's got to be at Georgia Tech, a bunch of frat kids who get A's and they, and they paint and hopefully A's in the right way. Uh, if there is such a thing. Um, you know, the yellow and black striped bumblebee outfits on and that's the crazy crap that you want in college, you know? And, um, obviously the NBA was everything outside the white lines. It's, uh, what Mark Cuban says all the time. We're not selling basketball. We're selling an entertainment experience. As we, uh, as we look to kind of wrap up the episode, we, we, obviously appreciate your time and um, have really enjoyed, you know, listening to how the Aspire group got started and kind of where it's all heading. But if there's one thing, I mean, you've done, Bernie, you've probably done more things than, you know, uh, 10, 10 people in the industry have done combined. So as you, you know, look back on your career thus far, what's maybe one thing that you either wish you would have known or one thing you, you would tell yourself, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago that, um, you know, you think a lot of people that are already in the industry can take the advice and run with it and, and uh, you know, you get something from it. I think that's a great question, Jake. And it's, um, you know, it revolves around the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life in, you know, in the sports industry. And uh, I think the lesson from that is that, uh, uh, you know, You've all had done the Zoom, and it's an old one, and they make an ass out of you and me and all that stuff. But um, I think what we've already been talking about with how how fans' interests are changing so rapidly and um, assuming that you know what fans of today want is a, is a big mistake. So where that come from? Um Back in my Pirates days, I made a quarter million dollar mistake that I thought was going to get me fired in my first year. And we had the Giant Eagle Grocery Markets uh, Home Run Sweepstakes. So uh, people drop in entry blanks uh, at Giant Eagle. If the name gets drawn, Pirates hit a home run. They get, you know, $100 worth of groceries for the month. Uh, In a gift certificate, if they uh, hit a grand slam, they got it. $100 $100 a month for a perfect month for a year. So we a million people in any year. I get to a data warehouse in those days for them to do a tape. There's no, you know, little gnome kid from an intern from a sport management program typing it into, a, you know, a computer. It was data fulfillment warehouse. It comes down to 400,000 unique names. Uh, we put together a single game ticket flyer. We send it out, and it costs us a quarter million bucks for the production, mailing, and everything else, and we sell nothing. <laughs> and I, I mean nothing. Now, this is 1986. We suck, you know, but um, we sell nothing. And I am desperate. And so uh, my former UMass sport management master student, who is my executive assistant, has gone on and put her in charge of customer service. She's got six people in there, inbound calls. And uh, she has them all calling a bunch of people from the data list. And sure enough, they're, you know, 75 and 80-year-old little old ladies in Du Bois, Pennsylvania, that <laughs> fell out in the, in the grocery market, 
the ends of the wind valve, you know, and they ain't buying tickets. <laughs> there's, no, there's no way they're buying tickets, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, Kathy, I'm going to get fired. What do I do? She's just burning every one of them's got kids and grandkids to buy merchandise. So we put together a merchandise catalog and, uh, you know, without anybody knowing, you know, because it was going to cost another 50 grand for us to mail it out. Um, we mail out this merchandise catalog. And sure enough, we sell millions of dollars worth of merchandise <laughs> with a holiday theme. And we put in there, we do the first one to do flex plans, you know, 11 tickets for the price of 10. You get a free Coke, you get a free hot dog, and you get, you know, X percent off your merchandise with a stocking stuffer as a, as a holiday gift. And, uh, you know, I stayed employed. And so you're a genius, you're a genius. Absolutely. And it was, it was, it was totally my own arrogance to, you know, certainly we didn't have the internet. We didn't have email and direct mail like we do today where you do a sample, you know, and obviously the, uh, the direct marketing costs were peanuts compared to what it is today. But, you know, just don't, don't assume the the world is changing. Fans taste is changing. The business is changing and you've got to, do market research. You've got to keep your ear to the ground. And I think that's what an awful lot of people aren't doing is uh, at that time, I always used to use the example that the radio rights holder for us, um, when we switched from the big sports talk, uh, KDKA, and we went over to 3WS, which had all these formats and a bunch of other formats, those people were spending a million dollars a year in market research to make sure they were have the right kind of pro, kind of music that their fans wanted to listen to, and that's that's where so many of our client partners need help is for us to really let them know what the voice of the fan is. Hey Bernie, just thanks for taking the time to to spend some time with us and to. And to you know, just be candid about some of the some of the good things and some of the challenges. It's uh, it's really refreshing to uh, to hear you again. And uh, uh, I just want to thank you and wish you all the success going forward in the future. And uh, thanks for spending some time with us. Are you kidding me? My pleasure, my honor, and privilege for two uh, great people in the business. And and Pat, you were one of the people when I first got in. Back in the days, it was always open and supportive. You and your uh, partner in crime, Mr. Dolich, and uh, God bless David Montgomery and uh, Bob Aylwood and all the other guys who were around that really uh, took this little weird English guy with a strange accent and uh, helped me get into the business. So I'm always grateful, always thankful. <laughs>